Good afternoon and good evening, everyone. My name is Mike Weiss. I am the Director of Communications for the Cantor's Assembly. I'm also the Chazan of the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation Anshe Emet in Highland Park, New Jersey. And I am very pleased to welcome you today to this joint session sponsored by the Cantor's Assembly and the European Cantor's Association on the topic of Nusach. I am sure that we're in for a, uh, a spirited discussion and uh, hope that you're, uh, you're ready, to, ready with questions and to jump in when the time is right. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of uh, a brief introduction uh, to the European Cantor's Association as, as well as our host for today. Uh, the European Cantor's Association is an independent organization established in the United Kingdom in 2012. It is a framework for cantors, prayer leaders, and interested lay people across the Jewish worship spectrum to engage in dialogue, training, and profile raising to ensure that the beautiful and unique music of Jewish prayer continues to enhance synagogue services for future generations. ECA arranges cantors conventions in UK and European cities and is presenting this Zoom series, The Voice of the Cantor, VOC, its academic wing presents international conferences on the music of Jewish prayer in partnership with universities around the world. Uh, and about our host today, Hirsch Kashten, he is the ECA uh, Convention Program Director. He trained at London's Jews College and is also passionate about synagogue music, though he spent his career in business. He creates and runs the ECA's very successful convention programs. On his retirement, he offered his time to the Jewish Music Institute taking several responsible roles. Hirsch created and ran Tefil Harmonic, a precursor to ECA. His special interest is laning, chanting the Torah, with a focus on communicating the contents to the congregation. He now has a very busy program active on both international and UK charities. For ECA, Hirsch advises on all aspects of ECA work and creates and delivers ECA convention programs. And Hirsch, I would love for you to take it away now, and I'm going to shut my volume off and let, listen uh, very carefully to what everyone has to say today. Thank you, Mike. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. I'd just like to explain to you, first of all, how the session is going to go. I'm going to introduce each of the panelists and ask them one question to just to get the juices flowing and to get a bit of extra interest to what I can say about them. And then we'll go into the actual topic, into discussing Nusach. And then, assuming we have the time, because we, we will finish the formal session after an hour and a half, uh, assuming we have the time, we will, we will take questions from the audience. Uh, if you would like to raise a question, then please put it into the chat, but please don't use the chat for lots of lots of comments, otherwise we won't see the questions. When we finish the questions, wrap up the hour and a half, we will continue with a less formal session for a while if people want it. We'll see if anybody's left on. Uh, if, the, if there is, then we'll continue for up to another half an hour. Okay, so first of all, our panel today, we actually have four very distinguished panelists. We have Charles Heller, writer and retired choir master from Toronto, Cantor Hinder Eisen Leibovitz from the Ori Israel Synagogue, Chevy Chase, Maryland, Cantor Jacob Benzian Mendelssohn, Jackie, previously of Temple Israel Center of White Plains, 
and Cantor Gideon Telemeyer from Shara Shemayim Synagogue, Montreal. I'm going to now tell you about each of them in a bit more detail and put something to them. So, Gideon, first with Gideon is a graduate of the Tel Aviv Cantorial Institute, where he studied with Naftali Hirschdick, chief cantor of the Jerusalem Great Synagogue and well known to many of us. Gideon is renowned for having a passion for illuminating the liturgy through a blend of traditional prayer modes and a modern harmonic palette, creating a distinctive style of service that makes chorus, Shabbat and festival services at Congregation Shara Shomayim in Montreal a spiritually engaging and uplifting experience. Cantor Selemiah has performed around the world as a featured soloist. He and the Shah Shemayim Synagogue Choir have toured North America and the United Kingdom, and their series of recordings has received widespread critical acclaim. Gideon has performed with Kent Nagano and the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, with Boris Brot and the Orchestra Classique de Montreal. He sings a wide repertoire and is the featured soloist on Leonard Cohen's Grammy award-winning song, You Wanted Darker. So, Gideon, tell us a little about the partnership between the Chazan and the choir. That's a bit of a precursor because the session we're going to do next week is focused exactly on the role the choir can play. I was going to say, if, if I start speaking on that topic and Stephen finds out, I'll have hell to pay. <laughs> um, Hirsch, thank you for that, that warm and generous welcome. And it's great to be uh, in this forum with such esteemed colleagues. Um, the role of the cantor and the choir is what you want me to talk about first? I'll just give you a little bit of a background, and, and that is as follows. Um, my congregation here in Montreal was founded in 1846. It was an offshoot of the oldest synagogue in Canada, which is the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue here in Montreal. And once there was a core group of enough Western European Jews, they wanted, among many things that they cited for their reasons to form a new congregation, they wanted their melodies back the way they knew them in the old country. They wanted their nusach back. And so the congregation was formed in 1846, and in 1887, the Shara Shemayim Synagogue Choir was formed. So we have had a choir accompanying every service at Shara Shemayim since 1887, with the notable exception of the last 16 months or so. Um, and so Nusach and how it plays out in terms of the interplay between the cantor and choir is at the foundation of everything that we do. Um, it is our guidepost. It is our rules of the road. Um, it is a, a, a means. I, I always use the analogy that someone should be able to be blindfolded, spun around till they're so disoriented that they don't know what time of year it is or what time of day it is. And here a skilled practitioner davening and be able to tell what time of day it is, what season of the year it is, what festival it is more specifically, and be given all that information just by the music that they're hearing. Yeah, and uh, and I think that that is, oops, I think that is our, uh, somebody agreed with me, you see? Um, I think that that is our primary uh, uh, function in terms of, of passing along those traditions. Now that's not to say that we are, um, are, are stuck with them and certainly as a, a, a synagogue with a weekly choir, um, I probably have more flexibility in terms of, let's say, enhancing or, you know, performing hidur mitzvah with the nusach than, than most might, uh, because 
of the various compositions that are available, the textures that one can get. And if, if I had a mixed choir and not a male choir, I would get even more textures. But I don't have to tell you that um, um, given who I had the, the pleasure of working with and who really was uh, um, the, the modern day progenitor of a lot of the Shars traditions in, in, in Stephen and, the, and the, the partnership that we shared, um, he pushes the envelope further than anybody that I know in terms of getting textures from especially an ensemble of celli. So um, that, is, that is certainly one of the guiding principles that is governing me and my traditions that I uphold here at Shars Shemaim in Montreal. That's wonderful. Thank you, Gideon. Okay, I'm going to turn to Jackie Mendelssohn. So Jackie, Cantor Jacob Bensian Mendelssohn, grew up in Brooklyn, where he witnessed the dwindling days of the golden age of Chazanut. Now, as both an international performer and one of the leading cantorial masters of today, he is passing on his art to a new generation. For over 30 years, he has taught at the Debbie Friedman School of Sacred Music of Hebrew Union College, and the H.L. Miller Cantorial School at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Both schools have awarded him honorary doctorates. Having retired as a full-time chazan at Temple Israel Center of White Plains, New York in 2014, Jack teaches at both these cantorial schools, performs at concerts, and often appears as scholar in residence. Jack is the subject of a documentary film, A Kansas Tale, for which the New York Times called him a voice that heralds a culture Kanda Mendelssohn is also featured in films about Debbie Friedman and Theodore Bickel. He's currently performing The Cantor's Couch, a one-man show written by Mark Beeler, which has played successfully in many cities across the USA. Okay, so Jackie, what is it like performing in a show as a contrast to singing in the synagogue? Well, in, in this particular show that I do, um, the uh, the audience becomes my congregation and my choir. <laughs> so I try to make it as similar as possible. Um, uh, it's a big difference. Um, when you're davening, um, you're improvising. The show is set. The show is set. The beautiful thing about davening is that at its height, one never knows what one is going to do. You're moved by the moment, um, by the sounds, uh, by the way the congregation responds, and you yourself responds, uh, respond accordingly. Um, so that's basically that's okay. basically the difference between. Uh, the two oh, modes. Kodesh and Chol. Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, so now we move to Hinder. Um, Cantor Hinder Eisen Leibovitz. She was raised in West Caldwell, New Jersey, achieved cantorial ordination and an MA in Judaic Studies at Hebrew College in Newton, Massachusetts in June of 2014 has been the cantor and religious school principal of Old Kurdish Synagogue, Chevy Chase, Maryland, since then. Cantor Leibovitz is a contralto and has performed in many locations, locally and internationally, singing diverse genres, including Chazanut, Broadway, folk songs, popular and Israel music. She is proud to collaborate frequently with other cantors in other US communities. 
Cantor Leibovitz served as a member of the Executive Council of the Cantor's Assembly from 2017 to, 2000 to 2020. She chaired the conservative movement-wide Selichot, for which she assembled a 90-minute long video of High Holy Day music by colleagues. And she's produced a video of Akdamut that included 46 colleagues from around the globe. So, Hinda, maybe I'll ask you later whether Akdamut is Nusach. We might have a little discussion about that, but not now. But do tell us, why did you decide to become a cantor? So I, I've said this more than once. Um, I don't think I decided to become a cantor. I think that the path found me um, in that uh, I, I was for a long time in my childhood adamant that I was going to grow up and be a rabbi. I was adamant in my childhood that I was going to, that I enjoyed music, but did not want to be a professional musician. Um, and all of that obviously led me, <laughs> led me to the wrong place. Um, but I, from, ver from a very young age, uh, I was engaged in music. I was the beneficiary of the fact that I was the same age as my cantor's oldest child. And so um, as I think back, um, as he was thinking about uh, the kinds of programs, the kinds of music he wanted his children to engage in, I was along for the ride. My parents were very active shul goers. And so by the time I uh, matriculated into cantorial school, I, I was already kind of in the mode of the cantorate and um, all roads kind of pointed me in one direction. So uh, I'm happy to be here. Great, thank you very much. Okay, and finally, Achron Achron Chaviv, Charles, Charles Heller. Charles Heller has worked as a music director with the world's leading cantors for over 50 years. When he was seven, his father, who sang tenor in the shul choir at Shackerwell Lane in London's East End, made him join the choir as a boy soprano. He loved it from the first moment. Singing the most sophisticated repertoire with Chazan Einhorn from Vienna. He learned to read music there, sang with many fine chazanim, and later conducted the choir for Yamin Noraim. He was invited by his friend, Rabbi and Kanzer Schisler, one of the panelists from our similar session last week, to be the conductor of the new synagogue, Edgerton Road, Stamford Hill, which had a phenomenal tradition of chazanot and choral music. Subsequently, worked with Naftali Hirschdick in, in Edgeware. Finchley. Oh, it was Finchley, was it? Okay. When he moved to Toronto, he was offered the job at Beit Emet with Cantor Danto and remained there for 20 years. When Danto retired, he worked there with Aaron Ben Susan for 10 years until his retirement. Charles is the author of What to Listen for in Jewish Music and Shul Going, 2,500 years of impressions and reflections on visits to the synagogue. So Charles, the question for you, why did you choose to be a choir master rather than a cantor? Because um, it came, it was the first thing that came to me. Uh, that was the I had the opportunity. No one asked me, would you like to be a cantor? They said, we need you to either conduct the choir. And it's something I could do because I studied music. Uh, to be a choir director, like you have to like be able to read music as a start. And not everybody can do that. And then uh, understand harmony. Know, know what each part should do 
uh, read the score and so and, and play the piano so I could do those things so it, it was just natural for me to do nobody ever asked me to be a cantor until many years later then I did it so that's why I did I always enjoyed it I mean uh, directing the choir is is um is very very rewarding in, in some ways its own kind of thing and it's extremely rewarding I had a our school had a good choral tradition when I was in uh, high school in London I, uh, when I even when I was in high school I was singing with Sir David Wilcox one of the great choral conductors of all time so I had uh, I, I mean I came I had the best teachers from the beginning very good Okay, so we're now going to move on to our topic of the day. We're going to talk about Nusach in various ways. So I'm going to start with you, Charles. Charles, what is Nusach in your view? What is, its, what, is, hang, what is its core and where are its boundaries? What do you think? I'm so glad you asked me that because I just happened to have something written down here. Um, Nusach, starting off from Eric Werner's definition, Nusach is the traditional application of synagogue melodies to the liturgy. Nusach has the purpose of uniting the community through a shared awareness of time and place. This is what Chazan Gideon said just before, and Rabbi Shisler mentioned it last week. Uh, if you, you go into a shul blindfold, you, you, you know, you just listen, you know what day and what time it is. Um, this is true of all religious services. It used to be true of the Catholic Church throughout history, except over the last few centuries it's vanished. But this is a basic function of religious services of any religion, that when you are there, you are part of it, you feel part of a community, and you know what sharing time and place, and that's absolutely fundamental. So, I continue. Uh, Nusach is the result of over 2,000 years of selection. There's no completely universal Nusach, but there is a universal concept of Nusach. Nusach is uniform, i.e. across different communities, uh, and appropriate, which means different occasions have different tunes. Nusach ranges from a simple response of Amen, which is the simplest response, to the easiest way of responding of the community responsive singing which we're also keen on and I know many congregations where people do not know to say amen and if someone told them they'd say wow we can join in isn't that great that's what amen is and Nusach ranges from amen to uh, cantorial set pieces uh, which provide artistic breathing place breathing spaces in the service so that's my definition oh one more thing I'm going to say two more sentences. We preserve, that's what Nusach is. I want to add, we preserve Nusach through encouraging and supporting prayer leaders who provide Nusach rich services. Nusach is now an endangered culture and action needs to be taken now to preserve it. Thank you for that. That's very clear. Um, I'm going to ask the other panelists whether they agree, but I want to ask that in a particular way. Um, I'd like to see, to see what you think the boundaries of Nusach is, or that boundaries are. Jack, what, what would you say to that? What, what is Nusach and what isn't Nusach? Which, which, which things are Nusach, not Nusach? Well, or, or is all singing Nusach? I'm sorry, what was your last? Or is all singing in Shul Nusach? Well, the, the, not, not really. Um, we've all 
we've all sung uh, Sim Shalom in minor, and uh, we know that it should be done in, in the uh, Fregish mode. Sim Shalom, or Sim Shalom Tova Uvracha, so on and so forth. So you, you, can, you can have a musical detour. I believe that, that Nusach should be the, the host. And then every now and then a guest can come in. And uh, using your musicality and your musicianship, you bring in the guest from the Nusach and then you bring the Nusach back in from the guest using your musicianship so that it isn't done in a way that is shocking, musically shocking, so that there's a thread that goes through. Um, music, synagogue music has always reflected the culture in which the Jewish people lived in. Italian Renaissance, uh, the Jewish music sounded like Italian Renaissance music. And in America, we referred to it earlier before when we were chatting um, of the concept of Nusach America. Uh, and that is the use of tunes that may not be um, Nusach based, but may have sort of a, a feel, an American feel to them. And, and I, I believe that this should be encouraged, but still it should be the guest and Nusach should be the host. Um, okay. So there you go, uh, as far as boundaries are concerned, um, I think you can, one can be happy with the other. Okay, that's an interesting little concept you've introduced there, the idea of the host and the guest. I like that. Um, Gideon, would you like to comment on, on that? Is that uh, would you agree with that for a start? You see Nusach as the, the host and singing not actually in Nusach, but somehow related to it as the guest. Um, I, I totally agree. I think it's actually quite a beautiful uh, analogy that Jackie draws. And the, the only thing that I would add to it is to say that whatever we choose to be the guest, um, have a couple of caveats. Um, number one, I, I, I believe rather strongly that there is a, a, a tremendous tradition of Jewish written and Jewish used music that could have application in appropriate liturgical settings. And um, I think that, you know, for instance, at, at, at the Shar, and I realize that we're, we're probably more stringent than most, but uh, um, pop tunes and Broadway tunes and opera arias and things like that make their way in on Simchat Torah, and that's it. Um, and, 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 and the reason for that is that, and this is the, the largest caveat that I would attach to what Jackie said, or the, not a caveat, an addition, whatever we choose to bring as the guest has to serve the text. It has to serve the text. The text can't be pushed 
as a square peg through a round hole so that the, the accents are on the wrong syllables and commas and periods are in the wrong places. And um, you know, ultimately we're, we're here and Nusach is here to serve the interpretation and the transmission of sacred texts. And I think that we have to be very careful. Um, it's wonderful to bring guests to the party and I'm all for it. Um, I just want to make sure that the uh, appropriate to table etiquette is is observed by those guests. Okay, that's great. That's great. We're going to get too much. I hope I didn't misstate anything, Jackie. Did I? No, that's beautiful. That was beautiful. That's, that's very good, Gideon. I mean, what I love, I love what you would the the element of taste that you brought in uh, was very apt. I'd like to I'd like to come like to come back to that in, in a little while. We'll talk about what might be taste and what might not be taste. Hinda, let's 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 turn to you for a minute. Um, firstly, have you got any comments on what has just been said? And then I want to ask you another question. I do. Um, you know, I will say I agreed with much of what was just said. Um, by all three of my colleagues, right? Certainly for me, um, I also love the idea that Nusach is the host um, and guests coming in. I would have said that Nusach is a framework. It's a framework of motifs. It's a framework of modes that we use. Um, and certainly we have the sort of ebb and flow of being able to, you know, take something from the side of the road, but ultimately, you know, traveling the course. Um, for me, the, the one thing that was said that I, I didn't agree with is that Nusach is uniform from community to community. And in fact, I find that when Nusach is distilled for, to its most simple form and becomes uniform, it becomes really boring. Um, that many of us, at least in North America, have heard the kind of result of what an Ahava Rabba Shacharit sounds like at a camp, um, which is the same motif over and over and over again, which could drive you crazy um, if you're looking for something that is informing the text, right? So um, I also believe that despite the fact that my shul is very into baseball, that I'm not a big fan of take me out to the ball game as a tune to Adon Olam anymore that I'm, that I'm a fan of, you know, some melodies, which for me are specific uh, I think Gideon said earlier to time and space uh, of the year, right? I, I like to reserve those just for those times of year. Um, and that Nusach is beautiful, both in its consistency across communities, but also in its ability to be adapted to the needs of, of various situations and communities. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, build, building from that, um, I want to ask you, stay with you for the moment, Hinda. Um, does Nusach matter all the time, or only sometimes? Is it okay to completely leave Nusach sometime, uh, or is it not? All the time, 100% of the time for every service, I don't know. Um, but I do think that Nusach, we make choices, right? And um, when I talk with my congregants, I'm, I'm grateful that my shul has a, has a great culture of lay leadership and people who have come from the independent minion world, right? Who are, who are not trained in Nusach. But when I say to them, if you're gonna make a choice, make a choice, 
don't use the tune for al-kul ele to the paragraph in the middle of the Musaf Amida because you think it's a nice tune, right? That's something that's happened in my shul. Um, make that choice. If that's, a, I may or may not agree with that choice, but make that choice. And then when I come to you after services at Kiddush and I say to you, so tell me what story you're telling by taking that tune and putting it on that text, you had better have an answer, right? That you had, you had better be trying to make conscious choices and tell a story if you're going to deviate from the Nusach. So for me, I think to the maybe syntax of your question, I, I think it absolutely matters, right? And I think that when we make choices to move separate from the Nusach, that, that those need to be conscious choices. Okay, thank you. Gideon, what do you think about that? I, I think it's right on. Um, you know, I, I'll always remember um, when I was living in Jerusalem and studying with Chazen Hershtik and I was singing in the great synagogue choir every week and there would be various moments during the davening where something would sort of stick out and, and, and you know, hit me between the eyes as, as some kind of an interpretive device, a, a, a something that was, was clearly Jewish source material, but from elsewhere being brought to the table to enhance a particular moment. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't hear these things so much. Um, I did because my, my, I had excellent cantors growing up, but uh, the first time I heard Naftali sing Tikanta Shabbat, and Jack and I were talking about this before because of his Tikanta Shabbat video that he put out last week, which reminded me of my early days studying. And Naftali would get to uh, Azmi Sinai, and he would sing Azmi Sinai, Nitztavu Aleha. Whoa, there's Akdamut. Doesn't have a place in Shabbat Musaf, but it has a place in terms of the words he's saying. Um, or the first time Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, and he sang mm. uh, Not part of the Nusach, but it, it, it brings the meaning home and it uses authentic Jewish music source materials. So uh, uh, yes, if, you, if you're going to bring, if, if, if we as Nusach practitioners are, are going to bring something to the table that is from outside the scope, let's say, the limited scope. And it is a limited scope most of the time about Nusach. And that, that's, then we should have a reason for it and, um, and be able to explain it, not as though to a jury, but, uh, but, but be able to explain it to a lay person who will say to us, why did you do this? Saying, oh, I just like the tune. Uh, okay, but why did you bring it there? These are, don't, it's holy stuff that we're doing here. We have to have a reason for it. And the, the only other thing that I would say to Hinda mentioned about the, uh, the camp culture of, uh, of hearing the same Nusach phrase over and over and over again. Um, I think that most of us would feel fortunate if we were sending our kids to camps that sang the correct Nusach phrase over and over and over again. And um, then I could take my kids at the end of a summer and say, okay, you heard the Amida done this way on Shabbat for eight straight weeks. And you got those phrases inside you? Good. Now let's learn some more to complement them. Um, it, it, the inculcation of young people that way is so important. And I understand that for those of us seasoned professionals, it might make us want to tear our hair out. Um, but it, but th that's the only way they get immersed in it. And, and I'm all for it if that's the setting and that's the, the technique involved. Okay, thank you, Charles. What would you What would you say? Is nusach always important, or is it okay to go outside nusach sometimes? Well, that's what you have to understand how you define nusach. Nusach 
by definition allows anything allow like a, that's what we were talking about last week people were saying can you sing soul zims of yinu shabash um and so now you say well all right then how did zultza sing of yinu shabash well of course zultza never sang it because there was no state of israel so singing soul zims of yinu shabash is 100 percent nusach because it, it fits in you uh, uh following off what hinder said uh, uh Nusach isn't shouldn't we don't want it to be uniform because then you're going to sing the same stuff every week. Well, you're not. If you understand what we're talking about, what I'm saying is nusach has a function. The test of nusach, what is nusach and what isn't nusach, is tested by the response of the people. There is no t- piece of music like you bring out a piece of music and you match it to what you hear. Uh, it, well, you can't anyway. It's it's to do with the response. And so I'm going to read, I, I, I want to tell you something. People say, oh, no, you only want to, like following on from what Hinder said, you only want to f- f- sing the same old tunes every week. No, I don't want to sing the same old tunes. I want to preserve Nusach because at this moment, there are all kinds of cultures throughout the world, in Africa and South Pacific and everywhere, where there are thousand, thousand years old cultures which are about to disappear forever. And I believe Nusach is one of them. And if we don't preserve it right now, it will disappear. There's a 2000, this is what I'm going on about. A 2000 year old, highly, highly evolved, highly sophisticated culture, which is about to disappear forever unless we do something about it. And people say, oh, well, so what you're going to do, you're going to preserve the same old tunes. No, I'm not. I'm a great believer in, in having new tunes if they're appropriate. That's what we were talking about, Jackie was talking about, and Gidon was talking about. As long as these new tunes, these guest tunes, like Jackie says, as long as they're appropriate. So the next question is, well, it's appropriate. Maybe Al-Kolele or Fashanahaba'a in the middle of Musaf is, is appropriate. No, well, well, you can test it. How are you going to test it? Every, everybody decide. Who decides if it's appropriate enough? The answer is everybody decides. And there's a test. The test is, whatever it is you're singing, does it promote the function of Nusach, which is to promote a shared awareness of time and place? And you can test it. For example, I mentioned this last week, I'll say it again. In Beth Emet, once we had a, a chazandanto, Al Shalom was not dubbing that Shabbos, so a guest, one of the Balabatim, stood up. And whenever it was, it was regular Shabbos, I don't know. And he suddenly starts singing the tune for Geshem. And the whole shul, 800 people, started laughing. Now you ask yourself, when was the last time that you were in shul and the chazan, the baltafilla, sang the wrong tune and the entire congregation, 800 people, started laughing? That's your test of whether you're singing something right or not. It doesn't matter what the tune is. It can be anything. It can be Yankee Doodle on July the 4th. It can be anything, as long as people feel it fits in. So that, that's, um, that's all I'm going to say for now. Okay. Jackie, is that the ultimate test, that people feel it fits in? Well, well yeah. you're talking about people. <laughs> the, the people today, well, I wish, I wish when I was uh, back on the pulpit that I had had a congregation. Now, I, over the years, I've had congregations that, 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 that were very well informed. But today, 
that is so, so rare. So, so rare. Matter of fact, they would be happy to hear Yankee Doodle Dandy, some of them, uh, some congregants uh, in today's world, because they don't have the background. They don't know. They never were exposed to it. Um, the, the, the whole idea of, of uh, that Hinda uh, brought up about uh, the camp um, and Gideon had a, a, a very nice answer and that I think he's correct. It's nice for them to learn over the summer, the foundation. But if you're gonna be a chazan, you can't, as I would call, paint by the numbers. There's nothing that makes me more upset than to hear a chazan. Um, Next phrase. Oh, a big modulation. Next. This is what it proves that you're not thinking. You can't sing the same thing for every text. The text is different. The words are saying different things. So as Gideon would do to the people that learn how to paint by the numbers, especially the young people, is you teach them to think uh, for themselves. What was the question? I forgot what you asked. <laughs> Jackie, if I can comment for a second. Um, you know, when, when I was leaving uh, uh, Israel, one of the people that I had the, the, the fortune to study with from time to time, in addition to Naftali, was uh, Moshe Stern. And Moshe, I remember forget the last time that I left his house after a shear and he sat me down and he said to me, the biggest roadblock for young Chazanim is that they want to improvise too quickly. And they don't necessarily know what they're doing yet because it's not, it's not in them yet. It's not in their bones. It's not in their kishkas yet. They think that they should all of a sudden be able to get up and do what he can do, Naftali could do, etc. cetera. And, um, and he said, Go to your shul, daven your nusach for a good three months. Don't deviate from it. Somebody should be able to wake you up at three o'clock in the morning and ask you to sing Akdamut or whatever it is, and you should be able to do it with no hesitation. But at the same time, be learning restatives, be adding ideas to your lexicon that you have in your head for how I want to express this idea, that idea, and so forth. And bring them in slowly. Not everybody has to be on day one of their first job, the great improviser that you are after so many years and after the way you grew up with it in your bones. We have to start them somewhere. I, so you have a I, basis. Yes, I, I would agree with that. As a matter of fact, as a teacher, I've, um, uh, my, my derech is um, that first principle is to learn a musical sidur. Musical Sidur is a wonderful chazan, writes everything, let's say for Shabbat, starting from Lechun Aranana until Adon Olam the next day. Everything, even the Kaddish Shalem, everything is written out. 
you must, you must learn this musical Sidur, then learn another musical Sidur by, by another great Chazan, let's say Yisrael Alter, uh, Kachko, Zemachtsen, then a third one, and then all of a sudden you can bring from one to the other, go back and forth, and as you get older, as you get older and mature, then things, there's only one Mechaber, all right? Everything we borrow from everywhere. And um, you must learn, you can't exactly write. You must never go out there and improvise. Just because someone says, well, is this? Go improvise. <laughs> I, I will tell you in the same breath, though, that Moshe Stern also said, and if you make a mistake, just tell them it's Nosachi Rushalmi. Who's going to quibble with you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. So. I would like to go slightly off the framework and talk about the melodies. Um, I'd like to hear what your opinion is. Let's start with Charles. Charles, uh, so we, we have a number of melodies that are many years old mm -hmm. that are sung in just about every community. So Kol Nidre is the a clear example or the Alenu in uh, the Yamin Narayim. Mm. So, firstly, do we decide? Do we do we regard that as nusach? That's the first, my first question. And then, be, going beyond that, what is it that makes them nusach rather than something else, rather than another melody? Just their age. You said, give me an example of uh, Alenu and Kolnidre, whether they are nusach with these melodies. Number one, I think it was Professor Boaz Tasi last week who pointed out these are not melodies. You have to be very careful how you define things. Uh, Alenu and Kol Nidre belong to the family of music that we call Mycenae tunes. That means allegedly they were given to Moshe on Har Sinai. Uh, so someone talked last week about uh, in Yemen, somewhere in, like, somewhere out in the Middle East, they sing Yigdal to Old Lang Syne. And someone asked them, why do you sing that tune? They said, this is a Sinai tune. This is from Moshe and Sinai. So, um, so back to Alenu and, uh, what are we talking about? Alenu and Kol Nidre. They are not melodies. They are a sequence of motifs. Some of those motifs, who knows where they came from? Eric Werner, the much maligned Eric Werner, had a whole explanation of where each bar, this bar comes from the 12th century, and that bar comes from the 11th century, and that bar comes from the 18th century, uh, and so on and so forth, and they've been put together. So when we sing Kol Nidre, there are slightly different versions. There's Risotto's version, there's somebody else's version, uh, who knows what, but they're all basically, we know it's Kol Nidre. And same for Olenu, uh, which we, I think we can date to the uh, 1100 or something. It was first sung during a massacre in France, and uh, it's been sung ever since. Uh, these are patterns of melodies. Are they Nusach? 100% Nusach. Remember what I said, Nusach is, if you feel you're in the right place at the right time, it's Nusach. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's the 4th of July, if, oh, here's the thing. You hear the Chazan singing Yankee Doodle. Da, 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 da. Is that Nusach? The answer is, it, like every Jewish question, it depends. If it's July the 4th and you're in the United States of America and people are singing a Donalon to Yankee Doodle, it's no question it's, it's, it's Nusach because everybody does it and it has meaning. If, 
as happened in my shul, my little shul downtown Toronto, where I am now, the Kiva shul. Um, uh, we have Kaeli, uh, um, uh, we sing Nusach Sfarad. So there's a beautiful piyot, Kaeli, Kaeli, which we say on Yontif. Never mind, it's part of Yontif, Shalish Regalim. And we had a very um, educated PhD, wants to get up in Daven. He gets up and sings this piyot to Yankee Doodle. Is that appropriate? No, it's not. I walked out. I had enough. I couldn't bear it. Um, so the answer is, it's, 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 all right, here's another one. Is it, what's Nusach? Supposing I'm singing a French army song, a French marching song. Is that Nusach? Could you sing a French marching song? What's that got to do with Naila? Is that Nusach? Yes, of course it's Nusach, because the Lubavitch have been singing it that way for 300 years. Because they learned it from Napoleon himself, Oliver Shalom. So therefore, it doesn't matter what the tune is, it's how you react to it. If everybody reacts to it in the same way and they feel, yes, I'm in shul davening with all my friends and it's Naila or it's Shabbos or it's Pesach, then it's, the Nusach has done its job. Yeah, okay. Well, Hinda, would you agree with that? Would you agree that uh, any melody that the congregation recognizes and knows and has sung a few times, uh, we can regard that as Nusach and it's okay? It's a choice, right? And I, but I think it also identifies, you know, if you can identify, you know, if it both informs the text and helps the congregation identify the space and time, right? If that's how one of the ways that we're defining Nusach, then I think for sure that's a possibility. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, one of the examples of this is the Lechadudi that uh, is specific to the Omer, right? That um, that's not a pop tune, right? That's a, or a, that's not a cultural tune, right? That's a tune that we presume was, uh, you know, somehow integrated into Lechadudi for the Omer, and it's it's published in Bear's volume that way. We, there was a raging conversation on the, the Cantor's Assembly listserv a few weeks ago, because actually it appears in uh, in one of Mozart's operas, and it's not clear. So did Mozart write it first? Was there some Ur folk tune, right? And certainly we've integrated it all of these years centuries later, as if it's only a liturgical tune, but if you happen to know La Noce de Figaro, you might, you might know that that tune is uh, something else. Um, and so part of it is also, I think, what withstands the test of time, right? Not, what sort of disavows its identity as something else and becomes integrated into what we're doing. Um, in the same way that there's an Adon Olam tune that I remember singing, I remember singing at camp all those years ago, um, which uh, I only later found out is a, a French Adon Olam Asher Malach, which you know for everybody loves um, loves that as a tune for Adon Olam. But actually, there's a there's a French poem. Um, something about the blood that paints the sky red, which, you know, does not, once I found that out, does not really feel like a solid, I don't know, lamb tune, but it, but it, it situates people, um, you know, a couple hundred years later. So um, at some point, I wonder about the, the absorption of, of Nusach. Okay. Gideon. 
Let me turn to you about this. Um, Melody. I'm still busy writing down that Charles said that it was okay to say Yankee Doodle is Nusach. I just want to make that time and date. <laughs> July the 4th. Well, you, we can't see you here. You have to go to the States to get a, when, when you, if you vac get your vaccination, go down across the border and see you. Well, it might, I thought the, it might I thought the vaccination prevents me from being inflict, infected with such things. <laughs> Let's not go there. Keep talking. <laughs> next, next. Come on. Sorry, it Hirsch. Might, it might it might be okay to have Yankee Doodle on a special occasion. Uh, We're talking the Fourth of July in the United States. This on is the like, Fourth of July in the United like States. Like a ho ho holy. I said the United States. Holy July. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Americans, what the reverence they have for their, for their flag and for their for their oh tremendous reverence. History. It's un, We we do, like in Britain and Canada. We ha we we are one step back, but in America. They, are, they, they have a certain reverence, a certain nationalistic reverence for, 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 for the country they're in. And this is something, this is, maybe it goes back to when George Washington went, went to the shul and what's his name, the, the shamas of the shul gave him a nice letter to bigotry, let there be no whatever it was. So um, the, the America is something that, so yeah, I'm 100% about this. I, I feel very strongly Yankee Doodle in the United States on the 4th of July is something very special, but now, we're done with that. Next. We, we do, of course, use Nusach to indicate the occasion, the special occasion. Like somebody in the in the chat before was mentioning that on Rosh Chodesh benching, we often use the theme, the tune well known from the month ahead. From Absolutely. The, from the oh, that, that gets us You know what? That's so important. It's a very good one. On In the middle of the summer, when it's Rosh Chodesh Elul, you say Rosh Chodesh Elul, and if you do it, uh, to me, if I given a chance and I get up and do it, and the end is even more beautiful, you can say Rosh Chodesh Elul, and Habale, it even has the words of Kol Nidre in it, Habale, Yol Kol Yisrael, the words of Kol Nidre right, happen to be right there, so you can sing that melody, and I don't know about you, if, if I do that, and it's like July. It's 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 you're in a week before Elul, and Elul is a month before Rosh Hashanah. But as soon as you sing that, it centers you. You feel it's already the leaves are. It's already Rosh Hashanah. Absolutely. You know, you I get played, a shiver. It's Rosh Hashanah. No, it's of not. Course. Rosh Hashanah. It's Look, middle of July. But I, that's what the music does for you. So that's I play these games with myself. By yeah, I, you know, I, I refuse to rehearse uh, uh, Kaddish for Musaf of Yamim Noraim. Uh, before I sing it at Slichot, because I need that gut punch of singing it the first time at Slichot to say Very to me, good. oh, yeah. it's now it's here. I, I, I find that it dulls the blow of it for yeah, me, right. and I don't want that dulled. I want that to be really impactful to me. Good. Right. And the, the only other thing I would I would say something to to what you were talking about about uh, the local customs and so forth. Yeah, I do okay. think that there can be a, a I mean, look, we're all playing semantic games at a certain point, um, but there is a difference between nusach and something that I would say is minhag hamakom. And and um, and minhag hamakom has a tremendous breadth of variance from wherever you might be and whoever is davening and whoever that person learned from. But uh, um, you know, for instance, we we have uh, we all have things that are specific to our own congregations. I mean, um, I, I I'm at Shara Shemaim where where Jack's late uncle was the cantor for forty almost forty five years. Uh, one of one of my predecessors, and uh, um, there are certain things that he wrote 
uh, and that I still sing, and and that is part of what I would call nusach shah hashemayim, more than it is necessarily whatever bear codified or whatever this chazan codified or that chazan codified is the the nusach of their community, and if you're lucky enough to be in a place that has a long enough tradition, then those things become very important to your congregants. Right, right. I mean, the congregation obviously counts, and and so we've we've got we've got sort of three levels, haven't we? We've got the very framework of the Nusach. We've got the very, the long established ancient pieces, um, which I called melodies, but uh, uh, Charles corrected me. They're not really melodies. Uh, and then we've got the Min Hagamakom, which, which is also adds to that. But um, is anything that's become established in the particular community um, acceptable? Um, a melody, maybe, maybe it is Hinder, let me ask you the question. Um, may, maybe for Adon Alam, I think Adon Alam has got more degrees of freedom than most things. Um, but what, what is acceptable in Kedusha? Again, I, I would go back to what's, uh, what I said earlier, which is what's acceptable is what, what well informs the text, right? And so, um, for for me, I, I mean, I I like tunes that that are written specifically for those texts. Um, and when I when I arrived in my shul, and um, I know I have some balerbati on on the line who may uh, who may not know this about me, but um, you know when I got when I got to the shul, it was almost every week we were doing Arab Shoshoshanim as part of Kedusha. And I said, I, I just don't understand that. Um, and and so I very rarely do it. But on the week that's included Tubav, so so we do that tune. Um, I think the Kedusha itself is a moment of transition, right? You're coming from major, you're headed into wherever you're going, depending on what day it is. Um, and so you actually, I think Kedusha is a lab for um, deviating and figuring out what the snake path is going to be that's going to land you squarely. If it's Shabbat in Ahava Rabbah, if it's on Shalosh Regalim, then you're going to end up in, I mean, Shalosh Regalim Nusach is a beautiful, complex musical mess, right? So you can kind of get there in, in a variety of ways. Um, but I'm a, I'm a text first kind of person. And um, I think my, my objection, even where I have well, well-intentioned uh, people who lead around me is choosing a random, um, even, even a random nigun, right? If it's a Karlibach nigun, it usually is, or some other tune. Um, but the scansion isn't quite right. And it's not really in the service of the, of the text itself does not work for me. Um, the other thing I think is with Kedusha and the sort of push and pull of Nusach for me is that the congregation needs to know where they are going, right? And so when you're immersed in a tune and that tune just kind of paints through the page of Kedusha, um, and when the congregation knows Shema is my moment, right, and I want it to be that Zoltzer-ish Shema in major, which my congregation does, um, you know, they, they get distressed when we haven't landed there. Um, and so part of it is, to your point about being sensitive, right, there's the 
you know, me and, and God relationship. And there's the horizontal uh, Baal Tefillah and Kahal relationship. And the Kahal needs to be along for the ride, no matter what we're doing. Jackie, what, what do you think? What about, um, I mean, is Erev Shoshoshanim okay in Kedusha for you? Uh, technically, I'm against it. But I, but over the years, some of us succumb <laughs> to, to the, uh, to the wants or even the needs um, of your congregation. Um, it's it that it it's it's the tune of the Godfather that I'm really against. Uh, even though it's very Jewish, I die, 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 die. Just kidding, but. It's, it's, you know, those were the days, my friend. It's, it's those tunes that set me off. Um, and and it's, it's, you know, it's sometimes you just, uh, one can't help oneself, but to, you know, go with what uh, was their public will um, sometimes. And uh, in its own way, it's uh, it's become the nusach. I mean, look at Debbie Friedman's uh, Avdala. It's an avalanche. It has taken over. You know, um, the nusach at that point is major. It's a straight major. But um, Debbie has created this lovely tune. I'll never forget when I was in uh, Krakow for the Jewish Music Festival. And Saturday night, the chief rabbi of Warsaw came with a long white beard and he led the Havdalah. And when he came to the brachas, he started chuckling. When I came home from Poland and I told Debbie, uh, she had a good laugh. But it really says something seriously when when music like that it becomes it becomes a, but it's more of a minhag as Gideon would say it's more of a tradition than than a nusach. nusach it has taken major. over as you say. The nusach is major. You know, it's and. Uh, um so so there you go okay it hurts me actually but there you go that's my personal view uh gideon let's let's ask you a question um no doubt you introduce melodies to your congregation that they don't know for one reason or another um do you well do you first of all, i should ask you the question do you introduce melodies new melodies Absolutely. Um, the primary time that we introduce new melodies is on Shabbat Shira each year, where we try to roll out a whole new slate of, of everything that we would sing in a service. Um, a new Kedusha, a new Yitzchayim He, a new Yismachu, a new Sim Shalom, whatever. Um, and, and, and time is devoted in the, in the, usually in the sermon slot, which I usually give, to teaching one of those tunes to the congregation so that they can anticipate it and, and when it comes by, they can join in. Um, but again, that that's uh, uh, it's a rigorous vetting process, I would say, that we go through in terms of trying to determine what 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 is appropriate 
nusach wise, what is appropriate perush hamilim wise. Um, thankfully, I'm in a congregation where I do not have the burden of having to sing the same tune every week. In fact, uh, it, it's it it would be surprising to people if I did, and um, to the point that now after after so many years, I mean this will this will be my 18th high holidays coming up. Um, we have a completely different repertoire from day one Rosh Hashanah to day two Rosh Hashanah. Stick with the old tried and true Shara Shemayim favorites of the uh, Mendelssohn and Rosemarin era. Um, and then um, go. I, I see Saul smiling. You know why Saul is smiling when I mentioned Jacob Rosemarin? Ask Saul Zim who taught him solfege. Um, and, uh, and so... Uh, we have a completely different repertoire. We sing the, the traditional Shar tunes on day one and new things on day two. Wow, wow. Um, any, anybody else? Hinder, Charles, Jackie, do you ever use the uh, a sermon slot to teach new tunes? Great device, great device. Um, as a matter of fact, I used to sing recitatives and, and explain it from the Bima and tell them, as a matter of fact, my, my rabbi, Gordon Tucker, used to team up with me. Gordon's a very musical man and actually a, a fine musician, pianist. So he's I'd also go, a fan of the right baseball team. That's right. I'd go to, uh, I'd, we'd go to my office, his office, and I'd sing, let's say, a Tikanta Shabbos for him. And, and he would take notes. And he would know why I'm doing a modulation because he's Gordon Tucker. And he, and so pre-Musaf, he told the congregation about this number that I'm going to sing. And he told them what to look for and what to expect and why. The congregation was sitting there like dogs on point. They were so excited to hear this Tikanta Shabbat because they felt they were included in the process. So it's a great thing to do. And it only takes five minutes um, to do. Uh, I, once, I once was involved in teaching a complete new service from uh, starting from Ein Kamocha to the end of Musaf. Back in my early days in the 70s, Max Wahlberg wrote a, a service for Cantor and rehearsed congregation called Chemdat Shabbat. Very beautiful service. And what I did was I spent months and months on a Sundays where families got together. Over a hundred people would come and I would slowly teach them these tunes. And then when the day came, we did them all in one shot. And uh, we had a congregation of a high holiday congregation came. And to this day, since the early 70s, that particular congregation in Riverdale are still singing many of those tunes. Um, right. So it's great to teach. It makes them feel like they're, they're part of the process. Hinda, do you, do you have a similar approach? Yeah, I think the pro one of the deficiencies of many of our congregations is that no one ever taught them how to appreciate the chazanis or the the nusach and so for me it's it's also about the tunes but it's also about the nusach itself and um and the, the chant modes and 
So there was one Shabbat a few years ago. Um, I, since Cantorial School, have been uh, color coding a Sidur and writing in notes with the with the Nusach transitions between modes. And I printed out um, a color-coded copy of Musaf Rosh Chodesh Shabbat, and I, I distributed it in the congregation, and I said, here, here are the transitions you're going to hear, right? You're going to hear at the end of Kedusha, you're going to hear me go into Shalosh Regali mode. I do that moment, Lefisha Chatanu, um, which is about Chorva Irenu. I do that also in Echa, in Echa Trope. Glad to know I'm not the only one who does that. Um, and then when we get back to Modim, we're back in Ahavaraba because it's really Shabbat. The Ta'am of Shabbat is more important than Rosh Chodesh. And, and I handed this to the congregation and the number of people who came up to me afterward and said, oh, <laughs> right? That, that there's something about knowing that our congregants sit in shul and we're doing all of these acrobatics, right? I have sometimes described Nusach as a as an ice skating routine, right? You tr you go for the triple axle, you don't land it, you have to keep going anyway, because the ice is slippery, right? So um, that we're doing all of these features in our Nusach, and it's a shame that we're the only ones who appreciate that that's what's happening. And so the 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 best feedback I ever got, one of my, my favorite compliments is, you know what you did there made me want to look at the English and find out what that phrase was. Um, and okay. I think it's it's all about our job as as Chazani. Once we once we absorb the the Chazanut and the Nusach and the, you know, however, whichever Chazani we want to emulate, our next step is to look at our congregation and say, uh, you know, I want you to, you don't have to know how to do this, but you do have to know how to listen to it. Right. Charles, You're so you, right. You're so right. Charles, do, do you, have you in the past made a point of teaching the tunes that you're going to sing? No, I've never been in a congregation. A, I've never been in a position like that's a fantastic. And I, I call a kabod to hinder for her color code. That's just fantastic. And, um, um, I've never been in a position like that. I've never been a, a full-time, well, I was one year I was a full-time cantor, but otherwise most of my time has been as a choir director. I've never really had the opportunity to do these kinds of things. That's not the kind of thing I do, but it's a fantastic idea. I, um, there's two things arising. One is we are going, getting into what Hinda was just talking about. It's leading into the absolute major problem. And what do we do if the Chazan knows exactly what they should be doing? but the congregation dem demands something else. They don't like it. If the congregation doesn't like it, then you're up against a problem. That's where my society for the preservation of Nusach comes in, if we'll talk about it later. Um, I just want to go back to Jackie said something very interesting. He said, what about, he gave the example of two tunes which he felt were inappropriate. He, literally, he says, it sets me off. What sets Jackie off is the tune for the Godfather which you'll excuse me, I don't remember, but he knew. And the other one is Erev Shol Shashanim. It sets him off and it sets a lot of people off because they know it's a movie. But my, I have no problem with these, especially Erev Shol Shashanim. The simple reason is that I don't have the background of knowing that let's say Erev Shol Shashanim is an old Israeli pop song. If you didn't know it was an uh, old Israeli pop song, it wouldn't bother you. The reason why it sets Jackie off is because he understands the illusion. And that's what the whole thing is about. 
if you can make the connection, you hear a tune and you say, I know what this tune is, then that's where you've, you've got to make a decision. If you don't know what the tune is, you have no problem with it. And as long as everybody accepts it, as long as it does not, it is not bumping off the, the regularness, as long as it fits in, doesn't matter what it is. So that's, um, that's my contribution for now. And, uh, and as Hinder said, it illustrates the text properly. Um, there's, the in, there's the appropriate and there's the inappropriate. And I think you've had a, we've had a few of you raising examples on that. Jackie. Yes, had I not been a student of Israel Alter, these things wouldn't have bothered me so much. But Alter was so medagdek, I mean, you, you couldn't even think of a tune that came out of Chol, that, 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 was, had, that was the opposite of Kodesh. He would go nuts. He would, he would start throwing things. Um, um, and uh, so, you know, it, it made, it, it, it made a, 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 it made a, 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 an impression on me. Um, but I've, I've lightened up over the years, at least this Eric Shoshani melody goes very nicely with, with some of the texts that it's used for, whether it's Hueloheinu or, or uh, Mim Como, Uyifen Barachamim, where, where uh, two popular places where it's used. What, what does bother me, the author also taught us that it, the text, everything is the text, more important than the music even. Today, it seems as though the music is more important than the text. Meaning, take Kalbach. Uh, they use one melody, one of his tunes, and they, they shoehorn five different texts into the same tune. And so, you know, and the words don't make sense. The, 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 the period, the end of the phrase comes after the period. The end of the musical phrase comes after the period. I mean... But that's when you go, yai, die, 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 until it yeah, finishes. I mean... That's uh, the best part, right? I, I, you know, we can't sing, you know, it's... You know, it's the text <laughs> that you have to guard. Um, and uh, so um, that's a question of learning, of taste, and of caring, and of caring. Yes, my, my personal pet hate is, is Danny Boy, which, is, which comes into, well, in our synagogue sometimes, um, about Phila brings that into Kedusha. I don't like that. I think it's... Totally inappropriate, but maybe other people have a different view. No, Hamavdil ben Kodesh l'chol. I mean, you know, why? Why? What do you need shul for? You could hear a nice Irish tenor sing Danny Boy, play a recording, and uh, and yeah. uh, you know, what do you need to go to shul for? It's got to be relevant. Shul, the shul has to be Kodesh. It must be Kodesh. Right. And uh, there you go. Charles, I think you wanted to uh, have a few minutes to talk about your idea about this um, preservation of Nusach society. Yes. All right, thank you. Yeah. All right. I'll just make it very quick. 
I, this follows from what I said before. My concern is everybody sitting here right this minute is cares about Nusach, whether we agree on what it is or not. I guess most of the people in this Zoom really care about it. We've also had the question raised that most congregations, the people paying the salaries, do not care about it. The third point I wanna make is, the problem is, if we, we're dealing with a culture that's about to vanish, why should the British Museum sponsor, pay money to sponsor, let's say, people in the South Pacific whose culture is about to vanish? Why is the British Museum giving them money? The British Museum has a, I can tell you later, there's a, I'll cut it here somewhere, I don't know. Um, wait, 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 wait. There's a thing called the Endangered Material Knowledge Program, sponsored by the British Museum. There's a thing called the Endangered Language Documentation Problem. Who knows, some of these are sponsored by the United Nations. Why are people around the world very serious and very concerned about disappearing cultures? And nobody cares about Nusuf, which is a 2,000-year-old culture, which is about to disappear any minute. So I say, what can we do? Well, I, I, you know, I, this is my suggestion. You tell me if I'm wrong. It doesn't matter. So what we do, the first thing you do, what's the first thing you do is you ask for money. You go up to the Balabatim. There's a few around in Miami or somewhere, and you ask them for money. And then with this money, in every town or wherever, you hire a shul basement for a Shabbos once or twice a month. And you hire a, a, a real chazan. What do I mean by real chazan? Somebody who we agree as a who knows what they're talking about. Who we accept as a chazan, a trained chazan and an experienced chazan. And then you advertise in the paper or on the internet somewhere. You say, we are going to have an authentic service. And then it's up to people to come or not. And if they come and they like it, they can also make a donation. And gradually you get some money. And then the point is, this is, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. You tell me, this is my thought. I'm trying to think how, what do we, what are we actually practically going to do? And this, this is all I can come up with. And if you tell me it's not going to work or you tell me you've got a better idea, that's great. But that's a start. And we're going to call ourselves the Society for the Preservation of Nusach. And I'm, I'm thinking of doing a website. I'm working on I'm thinking about it. I, I, I'll let you know when I've done it but uh, I, I could make a start, set up a website. It won't be called that, but it'll be called something. And it'll be because there is recently they set up a website from Yivo for Yiddish folk songs. It's called something like YiddishFolkSong.com. What could be more clear than that? Anybody who cares about Yiddish folk song goes to YiddishFolkSong.com and hundreds of thousands of people have immediately at the click of a button have access to the most phenomenal um, authentic material with explanations and it come, it's, it's just phenomenal. I think it came from Yivo, I'm not sure. So we need the same kind of thing from Nusak. This is just to get a start. And we have to figure out um, um, what, what, what we get. So these are my ideas off the top of my head. So okay, let's ask, the, let's, ask the other panel, let's ask the other panelists what they think. Is this a good idea? Should we ask the Kansas Assembly and the European Kansas Association to to get involved in this. I think it's a um, fine, it's a fine idea. Um, what comes to mind um, is is to build from the bottom up, teach teach our children the Nusach so that when they grow up to be shul Eden. They'll want it. 
You know, I'd never heard of a kid who was in a shul choir growing up. Saul Zim will tell you this. And I, I've had choirs over the years. And many of those kids went on to become cantors. But at the very least, if you have a shul choir where you sing nusach and you do nusachtik uh, tunes and they get to do a solo here and there, these kids in later life will go to shul. They will be shul Eden. And if we can have some sort of a, a program, a worldwide program where the, the kids, the kids, they don't know that they don't like it. It's good when they hear some, when they hear something good, when a kid hears Chazonis done well, they go, wow, that is the coolest thing I have ever heard. So find some way to, to, uh, to, to, to get, get kids involved. You know, Jackie, I, I think I think you're really right. I, I I grew up in a household where, um, where you always heard an LP playing of opera in the background. That was my mother's sort of soundtrack to her life. And um, and when I was six years old, my mother took me to see my first opera. She took me to Carmen at Boston Lyric Opera, and we sat for hours on end and prepared. These are the major motifs. These are the characters. This is the story, and so forth. And the result is that I tried to bring forward that experience to my own boys that when the Met put out their wonderful Julie Taymor Lion King production of uh, Magic Flute and they put it out on DVD in an abbreviated form in English and I taught my kids to the point that Papageno was their new best friend and I took them both to the Metropolitan Opera when they turned five and they are kids now who will not say ew opera they love listening to it. They are interested in when I when I have it on the radio when I pick them up from school they don't want to change the channel. And uh, I think that you, you, you hit it on the head. And, and, and also in terms of our, our lay people too, they don't understand, but I, they, by and large, they are intellectually curious people. They would prepare if they were, if part of their symphony subscription was a Bruckner symphony that they hadn't heard, even though they'd heard all the Beethoven ones and all the Mozart ones already, they'd probably go and listen to a recording beforehand. And we have the ability through modern technology to put a companion. I mean, all of, all of the recordings that my choir and I have made are on our website. And in season, we publish what two or three compositions we're going to sing each week so that people can listen to them. They can read about the composer. They can read the translation. I give the material to the rabbi. He'll introduce a Sim Shalom before it comes. And then all of a sudden, you've let people in on, on the secret that they've been shut out from for all these years by many, for, for lots of different reasons, um, either because shuls were too formal to ever allow such a thing like that, or um, the, the, just the accessibility of, of websites and, and MP3s and being able to send these things out to people rather than making them buy a, an LP or put in a tape or a CD into a machine, it's there for them. If they don't avail themselves of it, well, I mean, that's, we can't help them with that, but it should be accessible. The, the keys to understanding this world that we are talking about should be accessible. Can I say something? Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so you don't read, or someone was it's repeatedly, it's in the, Mike Weiss mentioned in the chat, how do you interest the lay leaders and rabbis in something like this who've already lost respect for Nusach? That's my point. You give up on them. It's too late. You hire 
you raise money and you have your breakaway what 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 did he call it here the Ausschrittgemeinde. you cut yourself off and you create a, a, a daven in the in the basement and you say you want to hear and you advertise it as authentic and you say you want to hear you come and come and join us but we need you need money for that and so but how it's going to work i don't really know how it's going to work because i mean I'll, i mean to, to to, you, you have to have proper chazanim, and the chazan isn't going to come unless he's paid properly. And so you've got to have proper money. And then if he's got a position somewhere else, he's not going to be free to come to your basement. But there are some five-star world-class chazanim who only do them once a month, and and maybe they'd be, they'd be free. They'd come along. It's it's a try. Somehow it would work. I don't know. But my point is, you bypass the congregation. Your congregation doesn't like Nusach, too bad. They don't like, they want it. We want it, and we're going to have our shul in a basement somewhere, and we're going to sing properly. And people come in and say, oh, gradually they'll get used to it. We all live oh. in different places. That's, that's a, that's a yeah, well, you have one in every, I don't know. Well, all right, you've <laughs> got to figure out the logistics. That's your job. <laughs> Charles, my only, my only comment to you is that part of this is a packaging and a marketing issue, and that putting the Nusach minion in the basement is is uh, kind of like I mean I you know I spent one year in rabbinical school at JTS and I always you know we walk through those gates and you see above you the the emblazoned on the in in the stonework is vehasne enenul kal the bush was not consumed it's burning believe me it's burning but it wasn't consumed yet so you know the society for the preservation of nusach sounds a little bit too fatalistic for me to get people excited no. about it yeah, I think I, we I have to come up with. Uh, with, Keep, with something other than other than preserving something that's burning and in the basement and and make it something that becomes part of the mainstream uh i'm 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 also gonna disagree um you know I, and i i and i i'm gonna be maybe um i'm gonna be critical for a second um be, and i i feel like maybe i'm here to be the lorax to speak for the people under age 40 in this profession but um you know i i think there are people who care i have colleagues who care you know good. i i, I think, good. um you know i i i on the one hand i remember jackie in your documentary you know you talk about the 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 lay people you know and the the butcher who can sing the chazanis from the chazan from the last shabbat um you know in the same way i think we've if you look at the history at least of north american um can't of the north american cantorate you hear you know that our gedolim perished in the Holocaust. And within 10 years, there were three cantorial schools in this country that didn't exist before. That from 1947 to 1957, there were the, the Bells and JTS and Hebrew Union College all started cantorial schools and the Cantors Assembly and the ACC. They all sort of came out of, of a, a notion that says, uh, you know what, the, the cantorate has died in Europe and we have to do everything we can to preserve it exactly the way it is. But in the meantime, my predecessors for two generations locked down and said, Chazanas must be the thing that we lost in, in the old country or the thing that we're waiting to preserve. And in the meantime, uh, we lost in, we lost the interest of my parents' generation, um, for the most part, and and we have to do our due diligence to open the books and to say you know in, in the in the theory of religion uh, when people talk about the theory of religion they talk about caretakers and undertakers, 
And, and I, I worry that by becoming preservationists, we become the undertakers. And I, I don't want to be an undertaker of this tradition. I don't think it's near death. Um, I don't want to be fatalistic about it. I want to be a caretaker and I want to be educating, whether it's, um, you know, munchkins in my choir, whether it's the five-year-olds who live in my home, or whether it's the, the lay people who care about davening and, and need to learn how to put music first um, and to, to tell the time of this Nusach throughout the year. Okay, thank you. Well, we've got a few different views here. Charles, you've got your work cut out to convince everybody, but uh, may, maybe, just, uh, maybe you'll, you'll be able to go further with it. I just want to say, if, if Hinda can do that in her shawl, fantastic, we're saved. That's very good. So let's hope there's a few more million shawls who can do the same. Yeah. Okay, I'd, li I'd like to open it up to um, the audience for some questions now. And I know Taryn Rome, um, is very keen to ask a question, or at least I hope it's a question. So, Taryn, would you like to unmute yourself and, and speak up? Well, first things first, um, I did have a question a while ago about um, that kind of has been talked about, but I, I also wanted to point out, like, it's really important to share resources. Um, I'm also with Hinda, I'm with Hinda, and I don't think that Nusach is dead yet. And I'm someone who's really interested in, from the lay leader's side, like working within the framework. Um, but this is to say like, you need to, like Hadar has amazing resources. We need to use the resources on the internet um, and put them all together so people can have somewhere that's easy to access all of the stuff so they can learn it. Um, and I guess, the other part of me says like, all right, I'm in a community that's a, that's a rabbinic led community. That's a new community that like, where the rabbi is not up on Nusach. And I'm like, what do I do as a person, like as a person in the community who like wants there to be a good balance? It's like, I don't want people to think, oh, Nusach needs to mean like super fancy chazanut all the time, but like, sees the balanced perspective and wonders is looking for suggestions of like how to talk to people in my community about it to maybe change the culture as the community grows okay all right anyone want to comment on that charles you want to comment yeah I, we're just looking at the chat here somebody's raised a key question ethan goldberg writes, how closely does the status of Nusach track with the general status of Jews, 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 is Nusach doing worse than anyone else? And the answer is no, this is a universal problem of dumbing down. Um, there's a general trend throughout the world uh, of dumbing down. Um, opera, every opera company is struggling, symphonies are struggling, orchestral music is struggling. Why is that? Why is that? One is the issue of decolonization. It's very trendy to talk about decolonization. I've been at a meeting of musicians where somebody shries, ditch the ring. Well, never mind. Let's, not go. Let's all agree that the ring is very important. Never mind, separate the man from the work. And the people shry, ditch the ring. This is like, you can't say that to me. So decolonization, then people talk about white privilege. It's, these are issues that people really care about. The Canadian Music Center, I'm a member of it, it's dealing with professional musicians and composers. They, every week they worry about, they don't want to push West, what 
what you might call Western music as a whole other question. They're worried that's decolonization and white privilege are serious issues that have been debated everywhere. Schools have been cut. I just read that in England right now, Boris Johnson has cut music teaching by 50%. You, uh, schools don't, in the olden days, hundreds of years ago, music was one of the key things that you learned. Why? Because it's integral to society. You can't exist without music. You're, you, you, you have birthday parties, you die to music, you get married to music, you meet your spouse at a dance. Music is part of being human. And here we have governments cutting music teachers slashing it they want it to go away it's non-essential special in pan i'm nearly through in pandemic times music has been declared non-essential think about it folks music is now officially non-essential so think about that um there's also a move against elitism um that uh, it is perceived we've had political the provincial um premier of ontario uh, and, and 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 in canada the, we've got government leaders saying talking about music it's elites these elites despite the fact that they're elites who elitist with their with their fancy music and their operas despite the fact that an mba that's baseball game the tickets cost thousands of times more than going to a concert or the opera and the my belief is that what's happening with nusak and shores is part of this general trend services have become infantilized and and cancelled by administrators most of the administrators who are in charge rabbis chief rabbis this and that most of them are not musicians and they don't understand they don't respond to music and they're the people who make the decisions. So the, all these are general societal issues worldwide that we that are part of the problem. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I think I think your your co-panelists probably believe more that we've got to do this from wins from within, <coughs> from their own communities, from their own shores, from their own families, and uh, from their own balabatim, rather than try and do something that sounds like we're preserving from the outside. But maybe this is a dialogue we can continue. We really have to finish the formal part of the session now. I'm going to hand over to, to Mike to, to close it. So Mike. Yes, I just wanna say thank you so much, <clears throat> so much to all our participants, to Hirsch for all your efforts behind the scenes, organizing it and for masterfully leading this discussion. It's, it's, uh, it's really been fascinating and I've, learned quite a bit and uh, it's also uh led me to you know kind of question a lot of the things that i've done you know i i think i had to i had to admit in the chat well, i didn't have to admit i admitted that i've done danny boy uh for a don alarm uh, uh and it was it was beloved it was beloved but uh what can i say chasen danto that was one of his most beautiful i'm not saying he sang it in shul but chasen danto would sing danny boy was most beautiful. I have to tell you, it was very beautiful. But he knew not; he didn't actually sing it during the dummy. Yeah. Well, I, I wish I'd had that wisdom at the time, but uh, whatever. We all we all uh, we all have what to learn. And uh, in any case, I want to thank everyone. Thank you, Gideon, Charles, Hinda, and Jack for for being part of this discussion. Thank you, Hirsch. Thank you, Alex, and uh, Geraldine. Geraldine, thank you for for bringing this program to us so that we could we could be a part of it so we're we're really grateful to the European Cantors Association and uh, with that thanks a lot and have a great night